Um, <clears throat> whoever would have thought that, I don't know if y'all were like listening. I know like half of y'all listen to the announcements and the other half of you just like, yeah, whatever. What do you say? But I, uh, I always find it funny that, you know, it, poverty simulation is 70 bucks. So if you want to go be poor, we need 70 bucks. Who pays? Uh, I'm still bouncy up here. Um, I don't know what you can do with that. But the, uh, turn the center fade down all the way. That'll help us. So, yeah, anyway, but it's well worth the money you spend, and basically that money is actually used to um, go back into the organization who puts this on, and they, they work day in and day out to, um, among the, the marginalized, among, among the under-resourced people to, to point them to Jesus. So it's not, they, they don't take it to try to make a profit off of it. Um, as we get started this morning, I want to do a, a couple of things. We're going to do something a little different this morning. Um, and I don't want to say this. I don't want to make any assumptions. I don't want to assume or say it goes without saying uh, where our church and where our church leadership stands on matters of um, racial uh, disunity um, and, and how we address those things. And so I don't want to assume that everybody in the room understands where we, uh, where we land with that. And so I thought it would be a little, um, it would be appropriate to take just a little time today to kind of come back around that again. Um, every year, right around Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, when we celebrate his birthday and, and kind of memorialize his, his birthday, uh, one of the things that we do as a church as we kind of pause wherever we're at uh, and we take a look at how the gospel works uh, in the hearts of those who might struggle with racism, how the gospel might work in our, in our nation and in this world to bring about racial harmony and racial unity. Um, and so we want to make it a big focus because uh, for me, uh, one of the things that just breaks my heart before my time was um, that the church stood on the wrong side. The church uh, at large stood on the wrong side of um, racial harmony and, and, and segregation and all of these things that our nation has been riddled with uh, for years and years and years. And obviously, we haven't made much progress uh, and so for, for us as leaders in this church, we want to make sure that we're, our focus is shifted in the right direction uh, and that we're being led by the gospel, uh, the good news that Jesus has come and, and paid, uh, paid the price for all sinners, uh, that, that he might reconcile them to himself. Uh, and he, did, he didn't designate um, who, who was in and who was out based on um, ethnicity. And so we do that uh, to just kind of put a light on the wickedness of racism and hatred, the evilness that, that is racism and hatred, and how the gospel interferes with, disrupts, and even topples that kind of ideology. Um, and, and additionally, uh, I would just hope that uh, by us trying as hard as we can, striving to be faithful to the gospel, to the proclamation of the gospel, uh, to teaching God's word through and through to the best that, that we're able, um, that that too would inform you on matters of race. So if we're, if we're sticking to scripture, if we're teaching the text and not our opinions, then we shouldn't land at a place where, well, some, someone in this race is better than someone in this race. Uh, that's, not where we would, that's not where the gospel would point us. And so uh, I would hope that just being faithful to the gospel in, in, in the way we preach, in the way we do ministry, and the way we do outreach, everything would point towards harmony uh, and, and that it would rail against bigotry and hatred. And just remembering, you know, it, it's, it, here's the deal. We do this so that, so that you and I won't have just information, right? We always talk about this. We don't try to center ourselves on the gospel and talk about racial issues just to, just to know some things. And I was thinking about, you know, we, we, we take in a lot of information, but is that information renewing our minds? Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. So we need renewed minds to know what is good and what is acceptable and what is perfect. 
And so we, we don't, our minds can't comprehend unless we are informed. And so we want to make sure that the information uh, is going out so that you receive it and that you uh, are informed and you are enlightened. Your mind is renewed and your heart is transformed through the gospel. And that way you'll know what is good and you'll know what is acceptable and you'll know what is perfect. And so that's why we point in this direction. But I do want to speak to the current um, social climate of our nation um, with regards to the past few weeks specifically. And I want to assure you of this, that there is zero tolerance in the kingdom of God um, for any other supremacy than that which belongs to Jesus Christ. Period. Period. There is, there is no room in the kingdom of God for anyone whose heart is reaching for any kind of supremacy whatsoever. And in fact, for that one or that few of us whose heart would try to reach for some kind of, to elevate myself or to consider myself above someone else, is waging war against the kingdom of God. And so what we see in this so-called alt-right movement and this white supremacy, these white nationalists with their rallies uh, and all the things that are going on, this is not, listen, here's, I want to be clear this is not some sort of space to express solidarity, solidarity with one another in these groups. These jokers are literally trying to intimidate people. They're trying to scare people. And they're trying to send a message that, hey, there exists this certain ethnicity of people who has a God-given preeminence over the rest of creation. That's, that's what they're trying to communicate, communicating hate. And there's zero tolerance for that. I'm not going to be intimidated, and we should not be intimidated by these actions. And so you, you see that there's a whole group of people in the world who also says we're not going to be intimidated by this. As a matter of fact, it's anti-gospel, and we're going, to, we're going to move against this. And so just another thing, hatred and bigotry that, that we see on, on the news and that we read about and that may even exist among our workplaces or where we go to school or how we do life. Um, these, this, this type of attitude is aimed toward many brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I want to kind of shift us a little bit. That I, like, so if you find yourself trying to pick a side, like what, what side of this should I be on? What, where should I go? I want you to understand that our union with, within Christ, with one another, is deeper and takes much more precedence over any political view or political side or racial side or whatever. And so what we have to remember is that there are brothers and sisters who are hurting. That what's going on in this world is hurting them. And if our brothers and sisters are concerned about something, we're concerned about something. And if our brothers and sisters are hurting, we're all hurting. If our brothers and sisters are crying, we are all crying. And so let's just shift our perspective for a minute to say, regardless of how you feel or where you're at or where your heart's at, know that you are linked for eternity with brothers and sisters who are hurting over what's being done right now. And you might think you have no part in it. Like, this doesn't happen in my, my context of the world, and so that's what's going on there. No, we're in Christ, we're, we're, we're joined together in this. And if someone's hurting, we're all hurting. And so I was thinking about this, like, okay, how do we, how do we come around this? From where we are right now today in, in Sulphur, Louisiana, um, sitting in, in this place right now where, um, where there's, there, there's not marches happening on the streets around us right now. We're not, have, we're not on the front lines of this. How do we address this? What do we do right now as a church? And I thought it would be just absolutely fitting for us to pray. I mean, we pray for, pray for our nation, pray for our brothers and sisters, pray for those who just need to be delivered from hatred, that, the bondage of, of racism. We need to pray. And so I, we're going to do that um, this morning. I just want to lead us with this text in Scripture. If you're going through our Bible reading plan, um, probably in the next, uh, I don't know, 10 days or so, you're going to stumble up on this text. And so I just want you to remember it. Here's where we are this morning. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves 
and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. They will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So we're going to do something a little bit interactive this morning. We're going to pray together corporately together as a group. And so what we've done is I've picked a few guys that's going to kind of lead us uh, and we're going to break up into four different groups. And we have a guy who's going to be assigned to each one of those groups to just pray over some certain specific areas. And I want us all to just kind of link in as we pray about those things. And so the way this is going to work is these first three rows, uh, Trent, you're going to lead those few people. And maybe I'll tell you what, we'll just take that fourth row because y'all are running lean right there. Um, And Trent's going to pray over that group. Uh, Those back two rows, Joey, you're going to lead this group. Um, And then these back three rows, Hunter's going to lead that group. And these three rows here, we're going to get together and David's going to lead those groups. And so if we could all kind of stand and maybe just kind of get close to to each one of these groups. And I'm going to kind of share with y'all where we're going to pray and how we're going to walk through this. So the first thing we're going to be praying for, and I want all of us to be linking our hearts and our minds together as one person leads, is for the people on these protest lines that we read about, that we see, that are uh, today in this moment um, fighting for justice um, and these cities where they belong, where they're experiencing disharmony and disunity. Let's pray for those people who are there this morning and who's going to be there this week. So if you guys can start wrapping that up, we'll move to the next point. So the next thing we're going to pray about is for those who need to be set free from the spiritual bondage of hate and racism, those who are... Um, bound up with spiritual sin and bondage of racism. Would you pray for those people now?
If you guys could start wrapping up. So the next point we're going to be praying about is for our country and its leaders to first realize and then work towards unity and to set an example uh, for the rest of us. And if the church um, would also help lead that effort, would you pray for our country and its leaders and our church? We're not done um, praying yet, but we are done praying in a group. What I would like to do over the, just the next few short moments um, is just kind of have a personal time of reflection and prayer. Um, I know for me, um, I'm constantly having to ask God to search my heart personally about this. Um, I'm not so foolish to know where we, most of us grow up and where we come from and what we've been taught, what we've grown up to see. And so personally, um, we, we might need to just kind of have a time of reflection and prayer and maybe even repent. Uh, so if we could, over these just next few moments, would you just kind of create your own personal space um, and pray? You personally, just kind of you one-on-one with God about the current situation and the climate and where are you and all of that. So would you just take some time to pray for yourself?
Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope and be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight and repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And so, Father, we stand on this promise And we repent now through the power of the Spirit. God, would would you remake us? Would you uh, break our hearts over the things that break your heart? And would you make us cry for the things that make you cry? And would would you cause us to see the need and empower us to join in and link arms Um, for the sake of unity and harmony through the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. We love you. Let this love for you um, translate itself in love for one another, regardless of what side we stand on, regardless of what color our skin is, regardless of our ethnicity or where we come from or where we live or our socioeconomic status, cause us to love one another because that is the only hope that the world has to know that we are your disciples if we love one another. So show us how to do that and teach us. We love you, Jesus, and we ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. And that is... um, It's very fitting over these last few weeks looking at this and kind of just personally in our church, things that are going on and and in the world, what's going on. And you stand back and you say, man, this world is not at all what it should be. Things are not right in this world. It's full of affliction. It's full of trouble. It's full of sorrow. It's full of tribulation. And it's happening both personally and it's happening happening in our world. And you just kind of see it. And it just so much this week. There were so many things that come to my mind that I wanted to say and I wanted to feel. And I wanted to just didn't. And, and all I could just end up with was this is just not right. It's not right. What you see on your TV today or what you see in your news feed or what you read about what's going on in the world and the, the, the racial uh, disunity and the climate in our nation, it's just not right. It's not right. Things are not the way they should be. And by so- God's sovereign design, by his sovereign choice, we find ourselves in a, in a very relevant and helpful text today. Um, as we kind of approach this, and it's why I wanted to kind of shift our hearts um, and, and, and minds to think about what's going on around us, uh, that it's just not right, uh, and that the, 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 the most powerful thing we can do is turn it over to God and say, God, would you do something through your son that would make things right in this world? And he is. He is doing that. And so I want to read our text today. We're going to be in John chapter 16. If you haven't gone there, you can go there. Um, and we're picking up where we left off last week. We're continuing through the Gospel of John. Um, and today will be the, the last time that we see um, Jesus in even his private ministry. He's just going to kind of go into prayer at this point before he heads to the cross. And so we're going to be in verse uh, 25. If, you, if you're there in chapter 16, verse 25, I'll start reading. It says this, I've said these things, Jesus speaking, to you... And figures of speech, 
And this is what he was talking about, what David was talking about last week. I'm going to turn, there's going to be, you're sorrowful. I get it. I see it. Uh, That sorrow will turn to joy. And he was speaking in figures of speech. And he says, I speak to you, but this hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. And in that day, you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you. Can you just kind of hang out right there for a second? For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. And Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone for the Father is with me. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Tribulation, sorrow, trouble, heartache is the backdrop for where most of us live, if not all of us. And here's what I mean by that. Right now in this moment, you are either going through tribulation, trial, heartache, sorrow, or you're doing everything in your power to avoid it. Every single one of us in the room. Some of you are going to college. And the world told you you're going to college so you can get a good education, so you can make a decent living, so you can be somebody in this world. But you're going to college because you want to avoid the affliction of not having money. You're wanting to avoid the affliction of not having health insurance. You're wanting to avoid the affliction of poverty, discomfort. That's why you're going. Living healthy lifestyles, going to the gym every day, running 10 miles, doing all of these things is only a sad effort for us to prolong what we know is already coming. We try our best to do everything in our power to avoid affliction and trouble that we know exists in this world. And so all of our lives are sitting with this backdrop of tribulation, of trouble, of trial. But here's the deal. The next time you have a stomach virus, I want you to remember this moment, that you're not in charge of everything and that you won't always avoid affliction. And that you're not in control of all of your own circumstances. And that there is trouble and it's heartache. So we don't avoid sickness, right? We can't avoid that. If you've been alive for more than 10 or 15 years, you've sat in a funeral service before. And you know that feeling in the funeral service, in the memorial service, and when, when, when you're trying to honor someone's life, and there's just this cloud over you as you're sitting there? You know what that is? That's, that's, that's that, that feeling of, you know what? This is something you can't avoid, and it's just not right. Like, you can't avoid it. It's there. It's in front of us. And when you're hit with tribulation... When it's coming, so I'm, I'm setting it up for you. To, guys, if you don't know it yet, it's coming for you if it hasn't already arrived. Trouble is coming. This world is a broken place. And so when you're hit with tribulation, when you're, when you're hit with affliction and, and sorrow, what you've built your life on at that point is going to surface to the top. What, how you've built your life, all, where, where you've placed all of your hope and all of your security is going to be put out on the front lines when that moment comes for you. And so in our passage today, we get the last words of Jesus' private moment with his disciples. This is it. The, the time that they've had is over. We've spent all summer in this one conversation. And so I hope we got a good grasp of what matters to Jesus and so he's literally having his last ministry moment with his disciples here before, being, before turning himself over to be crucified. It's the last opportunity with the boys. Like, this is it. Now, and it just makes me wonder as I was reading this text, it's like, if this was my last day to address you corporately, what would I say? Like, how would I, how would I exit? 
You know, and I would, I would think of things like personally, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, you guys see to it that my family's taken care of, or you see to it that you guys keep your eyes on Jesus and reflect him well. Like, I, I would, I would kind of try to be an encouragement, I guess, more than anything, right? Uh, ask for those things that are important to me and then become an encouragement. But Jesus, he does leave them with truth, but he, he kind of embeds that truth in one of the harshest realities. In verse 33, he says, In the world you will have tribulation. Not maybe, not probably, you will have tribulation in this world. It's happening. And biblical faith in the gospel, when I say biblical faith, I'm talking about your heart has been renewed, your eyes have been opened to the beauty of Jesus for what you've seen in Scripture. Biblical faith in Jesus Christ never requires you to deny the realities of this world. It does. Oh, well, that, you know what? I'm in Christ now. And so all those bad, terrible things, those are just a, a spirit of the enemy, and they're not going to touch me, Jesus. I'm just walking like the Bible never calls us to deny the realities that there will be tribulation and sorrow and heartache in this world. Rather, biblical faith in the gospel of Jesus will allow us, even call us, to stare directly into the face of this reality. Faith in Jesus empowers us to do that, even calls us to do that. In the very same breath, Jesus promises heartache and trouble. says, look, guys, it's, it's coming. It's in this world. It exists. He bookends the promise that he makes on one side by saying, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. And on the other side, he bookends it with, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And Jesus loves the disciples enough to tell them the truth. That there has been and there will be trouble and sorrow in this world. Because it's a broken world. And at the same time he says this, he shares this truth so that we would find peace one side and take heart because he has overcome the world. These things are happening peace. I've overcome the world. So in our immediate geographical context, where we sit right now today in this place, uh, I, had, I had to do some little research uh, this past week. North of, north of Highway 90, so that's where we're at right now. Highway 90 runs over here. Uh, west of Beglis Parkway, which is down there a ways that runs north and south over there. Um, and then east of Sulphur, like uh, just kind of getting outside of town, there are what I counted was eight churches in two square miles. It's a two square mile block, eight churches, who are likely gathered similar to the way we are today. Some of those churches are small, some of them are huge, and so there are just many churches who are gathered today in those places within a two square mile context. And of these churches, very few of these people know the truth about Jesus. So what that means then is that there are very likely some of you in this room, few of you who may not know the truth about Jesus. You may have this perception of who Jesus is. You may have been raised being taught all about Jesus and all of his ways, and so you have that perception about who he is, but you don't know the truth about who Jesus is. And so that's where we're headed today. And, and what we see is that there... Listen, perceived truth about Jesus doesn't bring peace in the midst of heartache and trouble, okay? And so what you think you know about Jesus is going to fall apart when trials come, when troubles come, when sorrow comes, if you don't know the truth about Jesus, about who he is and what he's done. And it's not, it's not what you think you know about Jesus that brings peace. It is the real truth that we all need to know about Jesus that will uh, cause us to experience peace in time of, of trouble that we're talking about here. And so in verse 25, John chapter 16, verse 25, Jesus says, I've said these things to you in figures of speech, and the hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. And in that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you 
that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. And so the disciples have this light bulb moment go off, uh, and, and they have this aha moment, and they say, oh, so now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. And Jesus says, really? Really? Do you now believe? Do you really believe? You have this picture of who I am. You think you got it figured out who I am. Do you really believe based on what you see? Because I am telling you that a time is coming when you guys are going to run away. You guys are going to scatter. And I'll be left alone in this fight. And then where will your boldness be? You think you're hot stuff now, but when the, when the, when the dime drops... Where, where will your boldness be? That moment that you experience the, the deepest grief of your life, where will your faith be? So a sucker punch of heartache and trouble would determine for these disciples at that point whether they truly knew Jesus or not. And a sucker punch in your life will determine whether you really know Jesus or not. What we would see here is that they ran away. When it, when it all came down, rolling, when it came rolling down, they were gone. And Jesus was left alone. So we need to know the truth about who Jesus is in order to have a fighting chance at peace in the midst of trial and heartache and trouble. And so what is this peace that Jesus offers? It is not the piece that the, the 60s rock and roll bands wrote about, okay? And it's not the piece that political figures try to legislate and bargain for. It's not that piece that Jesus is talking about. He's describing a, a wholeness, a completeness, a being put fully together, meaning that without peace, we are not together, that we are a hot mess. And so Jesus says, this kind of peace is what you'll experience when you truly know me, that you'll be fully put together. And so he's describing this, and it's this notion of, of positive blessings and a right relationship with God, regardless of the circumstance, whatever they may be, that kind of peace. And it will come to the forefront when you face difficulties in life. If you have this kind of peace in Jesus, if you know Jesus, if you truly know who Jesus is, in, 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 the, in the midst of trouble and heartache, this kind of peace is going to come to the front. And I see it happening. I see it happening before my eyes. People walking through the darkest times of their life and just loving Jesus and keeping their eyes on him. Truly know who Jesus is. And likewise, the absence of this peace will come to the forefront when trouble drops, when heartache drops. It's going to be put on display. So who is Jesus? It's a simple question, right? You would have thought we'd answered that by now. Who is Jesus? In 28, he says, I came from the Father. Remember when we opened the gospel in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Jesus was the Word, and he was with God. And so he just kind of Brings that back up, says, I came from the Father. That's where I was at. I came from the Father. I was the Word, and I was with God. And so he says in verse 28, I came from the Father, and this relationship is a, is a Father eternally and forever and completely and perfectly loving his Son. A love that you and I cannot comprehend. We, we don't know this kind of love. We will experience this kind of love when God's kingdom has fully been established. But today we don't. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, the best we know is a love that's just entrained with sin. But he experienced this eternal love from his father. The son of God is who Jesus is. And is the reason why John even writes this gospel to us. That we might see that Jesus is the son of God and believe in him, and that by believing in him and in his name, we might have life. 
And so peace comes from knowing who Jesus is, but it's also, it also comes through knowing what he's done, what he's accomplished. So he says, I came from the Father, and I have come to this world. And as we've already agreed, this world is full of tribulation. And Jesus said, I was in perfect harmony, perfect community, perfect love with my Father, and I stepped into this world full of tribulation, full of brokenness, full of trial, full of sorrow, for the love of the Father, for the love of the Father and the joy that was set before him so that we too might enjoy this perfect communion with God is why he did it. 2 Corinthians would say, for our sake he made him, God made Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. Jesus left the Father and came into this world not just to take your sin away. He left the Father and came into this world to become your sin. Every affliction he became. Every sorrow, every trouble, every rejection, every rebellion, every bit of anxiety and worry and sin, Jesus became sin for you, became your sin. And while holding all of the sin on his shoulders, God dealt with him instead of us. He took on all of our sin, and God judged sin there at the cross. So let me, let me assure you that whatever's in your heart that might bubble to the top and bubble out today, or the, the sinfulness that you walk through, the sinfulness that might come out of your heart, out of your mouth, and out of your life in the days to come, Jesus became that sin on the cross, and God judged it there. You're his. And we can believe that, and we can know that this sacrifice was acceptable because of the resurrection. We have the resurrection to assure us that God accepted that sacrifice. God looks at the resurrection and says, amen. It is finished, amen. Sin has been judged. And Jesus said and did a lot of things in this world. A lot of cool stuff he said. A lot of us church people like to get in behind what Jesus said and said, yeah, you tell him, Jesus. Shame him, Jesus. Tell him. And he did a lot of cool things, a lot of cool miracles and stuff like that. But if you try to compartmentalize one or a few of the things that Jesus said or the things that Jesus did, and I'm building my whole life on that, I'm basing my whole deal on that, you will not know the peace of God, especially in hard times. You have, you have to know that the ultimate work of Jesus was that he accomplished and became your sin and allowed God to deal with him there and ex- be accepted as a sacrifice for you and for me. That's the ultimate truth that we build our lives on. Not a bunch of cool things Jesus said. They're all true and they're all good. All the works he did are all true and all good, but they were to give us a glimpse of the kingdom. What we build our lives on is what happened at the cross. That's what we build our lives on. And when it's finished, when it's, when it's going to be finally finished, when we get to that point in Scripture, Jesus has already given us a picture of what's going to go down. He says, and now I'm leaving the world. Verse 28, I'm leaving the world and I'm going to the Father. So I came from the Father into this broken mess, redeemed it, and now I'm leaving and I'm going back to the Father, returning to this eternal love and perfect communion with him. And as we saw in John chapter 15, as we abide in Jesus, we too receive this love of the Father as his adopted children. So peace comes from who Jesus is and what he has done, a peace which surpasses all understanding, a peace that we can't fathom, we don't quite comprehend fully, a peace that only God can give, and a peace that only comes through a restored relationship with the Father. So you want to know perfect peace? You want to know shalom peace? It comes in a, in a reconciled relationship with the Father that only comes through Jesus Christ and what he's done at the cross. That's it. 
And knowing the gospel actually helps us understand the tribulations in the world. So, so if you have a good grasp on the gospel, the good news, and you believe on the gospel for your salvation, you understand what's going on in the world today, right? I, I hope you do, because gospel people look around at what's going on in the world today. I'm looking around all week looking at what's going on in the world today, and all I can think is, it's not about a stupid statue, and it's not about a race, and it's not about, it's a sin issue. It's idolatry, and we all deal with it, and it comes out in sev- several different ways, and different ways for every one of us. And so today, I'm not on, I'm not on a protest line, but I would idolize people or things in my life or even myself, so I'm just as guilty. Idolatry is what I see. When I look up, and the gospel people should see idolatry as the problem here. And so what does this mean for us? I realize that there might be some of you in here who are probably saying, yeah, Blake, I believe that. I know that. I've heard you say that before. I've read that before. But you just really don't know about this XYZ situation. You know what? You're right. I don't. I don't know what everybody's going through and how they're dealing with it. But Jesus does. He does. He was left alone. He faced the ultimate rejection, the ultimate hurt. And he had to because he was the only one that could face it. There would be a moment on the cross where Jesus would cry out to his father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You don't think Jesus knows what you're going through? He knows. And this is why he can confidently tell us today, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He can confidently say that to us. No one else can tell us that. No one else can say that to us and mean it and be honest. And that phrase, take heart, literally means be courageous, be full of courage. What you see before you is a fearful thing. Be courageous, take heart. Take heart knowing that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the son of God who come into this world to take on and become our sin. Because if you don't believe that, that Jesus is who he says he is and he has done what he said he would accomplish, then there's no reconciliation to the Father. And when there's no reconciliation to the Father, we stand in this state of hostility towards him. And what exists in that moment is still a world full of heartache and hurt and trouble and tribulation. And we're without hope. We're without forgiveness. We're without purpose. We're without assurance. We are without peace if we're not reconciled to the Father when the ball drops for us. Not if or maybe, but when it does. But by believing Jesus to be who he says he is and that he's accomplished everything that he said he would accomplish, we abide in him. We we remain in him. We put our everything to Jesus. And there we are eternally loved by the Father. So be courageous and take heart. Jesus says, take heart. Whatever the circumstance, it's coming for you. Be courageous. I've overcome the world. Don't forget that. Because what's going to happen is the bookend that holds that reality up, the bookends that say, have peace. I have overcome the world. If those two things don't exist, then we're going to fall apart when tribulation comes, when trials come. Have peace and take heart. 
And so this is how Paul was able to write the book of Romans, I believe. And if you look with me at verse uh, 31 of chapter 8, it says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's how Paul was able to write that, because he believed the truth about who Jesus was and where he stood as a believer in who Jesus is. So take heart knowing, believer, take heart knowing that God loves you. God loves you. And in that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you. God loves you deeply, even when it doesn't feel like he loves you at all. Even when you feel forsaken. Even when you feel like he is a thousand miles away from you and your situation. God loves you. And there is nothing in all of creation that will separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing. He loves you the way he loves his son. And if you truly know him and believe in him for the work that he has accomplished on your behalf, then you too will experience this love and take heart in knowing that Jesus is returning. He has gone to the Father. He has empowered us with the Spirit, but he has promised a return, a final return, one where his, established will be, his throne will forever be established. And in that day, every wrong that's happened to you will be made right. Listen to me. Every wrong that has happened to you will be made right. Every tear that you've cried will be wiped away. In that day, every question that you ever had will be answered in that day. And every sad situation that you've experienced is going to come untrue. That's a promise that he's given us. So let's pray.